0: But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Good morning, church. (laughs) Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 8. I want to begin this morning by saying that uh, I think practically every one of us has a memory from our school years that if we could hit the delete button on, we'd do it in a heartbeat. Uh, One that still causes me to get clammy, just thinking about it, (laughs) happened at Kate Shank Elementary School in San Antonio, Texas. I was in the fourth grade. And I went to school not feeling so well because, um, well, we really didn't know why, but my mom... Uh, Did the little mom check and realized I wasn't running any temperature and she had to go to work at hops tv Uh, And my dad had to go to work at martin lennon supply company so nursing help for a family with six kids in it was running pretty short And so she said i'm gonna ask you to kind of toughen it up and and go ahead and get to school Uh, But if you need me call me Well, I did my best and I did pretty well till the bell rang for p.e And then all of a sudden my world started spinning and my stomach started churning And before I could make a run for the door, I um, threw up, blew beads, hurled, tossed my cookies, whatever you guys call that. I did it, and I did it in spades. And I had seen what had happened to others who had um, let something inward come out in such a public way and the abuse that they they received, and I, I just wanted to find a place to hide. Uh, actually, about six feet under would have been fine. I just wanted to die. I was mortified. Because of all things, not only did I throw up in public, I also threw up right on Christy Brinkman, the Scarlett Johansson of fourth grade. <laughs> she not only saw me throw up, she was wearing it. and That was not good. So I just thought, go ahead, get the tattoo ink and just put the loser sign right on my forehead because I was never going to hear the end of it. And I'm guessing this morning some of you have been in that situation, maybe different, the circumstances weren't quite the same. But something happened when you were younger, preventable or not preventable, that you wish you could just go back and hit the delete button on and just take it out of the timeline of your life. When all of a sudden you were not just part of the circus of life. You were center stage. And it wasn't because somebody was applauding. It was because somebody was laughing. Or because somebody was mocking. But they were, they were not looking up to you. They were looking down on you. And if you can relate to any of that. Then you can relate to this last loser. In our series of lessons that I've been calling the biggest loser. And you can relate to a lady in our our story this morning, who um, wasn't center stage because of an act of nature. She was called the center stage because of an act of adultery. If you've got your Bibles, open up to John chapter 8, would you? John chapter 8. When you turn to John chapter 8, you cannot miss this lady who is outed any more than my outing in fourth grade class back at Kate Shank Elementary. For the moment, she is the one, however, who is under the bright lights of center sage, And she has, make no doubt about it, everybody's attention. Moments before, she was in the dark. And she only had the attention of one other. Her lover. But then came the shouting. Get up, you hussy. Thought you were going to get away with it, did you? <laughs> Not today. These were the voices from some professors at the local Jewish seminary. Recognized religious leaders the bible tells us who had sprung a trap on her little did she know And what followed was a series of slamming doors and throwing back the curtains and pulling off the covers and she was slapped Not with calloused hands, but I promise you with callous words shame on you Pathetic You're disgusting She barely had time to cover herself before she was marched down the street in a blur. As this pious posse of priests moved through some narrow streets, dogs yelped, roosters ran, women leaned out the windows, mothers snatched their kids off the path, merchants were peeking out the doors of their shops, all to see the latest session of the local Jewish Supreme Court. Who was acting today as both jury and judge. And you could tell the verdict was obvious because of their cross arms and their stares and their glares. And to complete the shaming process, they decided to introduce her to the temple's morning men's Bible study. Here's what the Bible says. Early the next morning, Jesus was back at the temple again. And a crowd soon gathered and he sat down and he taught them. And as he was speaking... The teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman that they had caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd and said, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says, stoner. What do you say? What could you say? Before we look at anything that Jesus said, let's pray, church. Father, for, um, for some of us in this room, maybe today, this story is more than just something from an ancient book. Even a religious book, a spiritual book, a God book. This is part of the story of, of a life that's being lived right now. And it's those, Father, that I want to lift up in prayer more than anything else. You've heard my prayers this week for them, and I'm asking you now to hear them again. Um, the chance is very good there's shame in this room. Realize that this isn't the only place because we have um, disciples meeting all over this town, and so we lift up Christ church, Christ's Presbyterian church, and ask you to please bless the disciples that meet there and those who have brought shame to their services could they hear a word of grace from you this morning, please? In the supper, in songs that are sung through the message that's being preached. But I, I pray, Father, for all those who've come to a place with Christ's name on the building or, or a group of people who wear his name. I pray with all of my heart that those who've brought shame could leave with your grace and ask it humbly in Jesus' name and everyone said. What could you say? Really? And what an intense scene. Stunned students with their parchments in their hands on one side and the sanctimonious scribes with their stones in their hands on the other. And right smack dab in the middle is one embarrassed woman with a negligee dangling and lipstick smeared, standing next to the young upstart rabbi of the day, Jesus of Nazareth. And a seminary professor barks again, the law is clear on this rabbi. Open and shut case. Adultery is punishable by death. When you have two witnesses, we've got two. What are you going to say about that? What do you say when you've got God's word on a specific life offense and you've got the certified self-righteous agents of good, they say? Staring down their Bible verse. What are you going to say? I mean, this moment is obviously been plotted and carried out to precision because this doesn't happen by accident. Not in the morning, especially. Somebody's going down here. Either an immoral woman for misapplication of her love or a renegade rabbi for his misapplication of the law. Which is it going to be? The woman had no exit. How could she? She couldn't escape accusation. She was caught in the, in the very moment, in the arms, in the passion. All she could do was plead for mercy, but who's going to give it to her? The accusers who drug her here? God? I've already heard his word on this. And what about Jesus? The religious gestapo, they've got him dead to rights. The very clear statement of the law is on their side. What are you going to do? Enforce this or are you going to evade it? And what Jesus is going to show them, I want you to see church this morning, is he's going to esteem the law, but he's going to put compassion with it. He's going to reverence it with compassion. He's going to respect it with compassion. He's going to honor the law without humiliating the lawbreaker. And if you know what he's about to do next, let's just do some pretending, all right? And pretend you don't know what he's about to do. The text says, he stooped down and wrote in the dust. He bent down and started writing with his ground on the finger. He was doodling in the dirt. That's not what you do when you want to make a point at a significant moment in life. We stand tall, don't we? We get on a soapbox. We get where people can hear us loud and clear. But not Jesus. He stoops. He gets low. He gets beneath the priests. He gets beneath the crowd. He gets beneath the woman. And he doesn't say anything. Just silence. Well, the pious posse is going to have none of that. (laughs) They won't. They want answers and they want action. And so they kept demanding an answer, the text says. But finally, Jesus stands up. Not to preach. Because what he's about to say doesn't take very long. All right. Go ahead and stone her. I told you he was going to esteem the law. Not evade it. Esteem it. But here comes the compassion. But let let those with no sin be the first ones to start throwing the stones. And then he just goes back to doodling in the dirt. That's it. No. Because the silence is broken by a dull thud and another one and another one and another one. As people who brought their rocks start dropping them, the, the older first. Why the older? Because the younger are looking to the older and the older are looking into their hearts and, the, and their hearts finally convict them and say, wait a minute, I can't throw this stone And the younger guys who brought their rocks, who were were, were traveling on borrowed conviction, they see them dropping theirs, and so they drop theirs. And soon everybody that brought a rock, who came to convict, who had the hangman's noose, is gone. And it's just Jesus and the woman standing there. Just the two of them. Well, is that it? No. No. You know the rest of the story. Jesus isn't done by a long shot. And you know what? I think we're all glad. Because what this woman has been involved with is wrong. Not just wrong in the right or wrong sense, the black or white sense. I mean, it's, it's adultery. That's hurtful. It's going to be hurtful to somebody. It's already hurtful to somebody. And so something's got to be done with this. And Jesus is going to do something with it. He starts with a question. Woman, where are your accusers? Oh, they're not here, sir. They've left. Well, then I'm not going to accuse you either. I'm not going to condemn you either. But would you do us both a favor? (laughs) Would you go and leave this life of sin alone? Don't do this anymore, all right? And that's where the story ends. Now, you know as well as I do, that's not where the story ends. But I've got to tell you, I love this story. I love it. Maybe it's because I have felt the heat of public shame in my own life. For far more than throwing up in class. I want you to know that. You already know that. Can I just say it this plainly? I'm so glad Jesus came. (laughs) And and we weren't just left with the the bitter, sharp edge of the law. I'm so glad that I serve a God of grace. Who doesn't excuse sin. But forgives it. And then promises to redeem those who have been destroyed by it. And if you needed to be reminded of that kind of grace, I want you to know you're in the right place. You may not have known it, that this is going to be the text for the day or the message of the day, but it is the message of the day, and I hope it's a message always for this church. Because while God might not be able to instantly remove the sting that comes from the shame of your sin, I promise you, He can offer you absolute grace to cover every ounce of it and the hope to redeem it. Here's the first lesson that I want you to take away from this particular loser that we conclude this series of lessons with. And it's this, while our sins are forgivable, they are by no means excusable. And you know, I think there's a part of us that all want to say, well, okay, good. While our sins are forgivable, they're by no means excusable. We only know this lady by this one phrase, the woman caught in adultery. How would you like to have that tag on your life? How would you like to have that moniker on your life? How would you like to have that tattoo on your forehead? The scarlet A is just another L. It's another loser in life. How would you like to have your sin tattooed on your life? Some of you don't have to stretch your imagination to, to try that one on, do you? I don't. Neither does King David the adulterer. Neither does Judas the betrayer. Neither does Peter the denier. Neither does Jacob the deceiver. All committed sins that I believe that God by His grace covered. Didn't erase the connection of that sin to their names. But He covered them. He graced them. He restored them. Your sin's been forgiven. <laughs> You've been healed by His grace. But that stain still remains on your name. Stealer, dealer, quitter, embezzler, molester, prisoner, liar, adulterer. Although the shame of sin has been taken away, the scars are still there. And you know what? For those of us who have them, thank you. For the reminder of the change you've set us free from. Thank you. So that I never get on my high horse and think I'm above that. The time that it happened, I thought I was above it too, but I wasn't. While our sins may be forgivable, they are by no means excusable. And that's why God never takes sin lightly. How can He? It destroyed His relationship with the first man and woman when He created them. And it continues to destroy men and women today that He's created. It destroys the relationships that He hoped that they would enjoy while they are here on the, the face of the earth He created. Just this week, I prayed over relationships. A horrible sin was committed between a husband and a wife, and it's, it's tearing it apart. I got off the phone yesterday with a family who is having to endure a decision a teenager made. With a girl in the youth group. And now not only has it cost them thousands in bail money and thousands in lawyer money, they can't even pay their rent. And they can't even go to their church because the girl was involved with their youth group. And so, for legal reasons, he can't even go to church. And so, this family's been ostracized from their cash, from their church, from their reputation, everything, because of a stupid decision made in an evening. It's what sin does. And they are so ashamed, and they're so broken. And that's why God takes your sin so seriously. That's why he says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Something always dies. Maybe not literally. Like the air stops and the the line goes straight and the mortician's called in. Maybe not literally, but something dies. A reputation dies. Innocence dies. But sometimes people do die. I think finally our culture, I shouldn't say finally, I should say maybe our culture is starting to get a little bit tired of having no moral absolutes. It's starting to wear thin on some people because when you start hearing the media say some things that almost sound like they were said in a church, then you know maybe just maybe. That this, hey, you do what you want to do, as long as it doesn't bother me, I'll do what I want to do, and we're just all cool, right? Ted Koppel, who's known famously for his Nightline that aired on ABC for many, many years, now works for NPR and also the BBC. And you know what I think, of all the journalists, and I don't know many of them, I haven't followed many of them, but he's tried to keep as neutral a stance, I think, to the news as, as any that I've seen. But he came out of the corner of his neutrality one day when he was doing the graduation ceremony at Duke University. And here's what he said. We have actually convinced ourselves that slogans will save us. Shoot up if you must, but use a clean needle. Enjoy sex whenever and with whomever you wish, but just wear a condom. And then Ted Koppel brought it home. (laughs) The answer here is no. No. No, not because it isn't cool or smart or because you wind up in jail or dying in an AIDS ward somewhere, but simply because (laughs) it's wrong. Because we spent 5,000 years as a race of rational human beings trying to drag ourselves out of the primeval slime by searching for truth and moral absolutes. And I love this line. In its purest form, truth is not some polite tap on the shoulder. It is a howling reproach. What Moses brought down from Mount Sinai, he goes on to say, was not the ten suggestions. (laughs) And thank God he didn't say suggestion. Because he said commandment and we just went, well, no, it's a suggestion. What would we have done with it if he said, here's the ten suggestions? They're not suggestions. Truth isn't optional with God. Where you have sex is not optional with God. Respecting your parents, not optional. Being grateful, not optional. Rest, not optional. It's all in those 10 and more. Why? Because every time we make choices outside of those we think are optional, death comes in some form or fashion. Somebody dies, innocence dies, financial saneness dies, character dies. And none of that's excusable. Forgivable, yes. But not excusable. I love this illustration. A young farmer had a son who was about to do him in. <laughs> I mean, the son was just driving him nuts with all of his little rebellious acts. He tried spanking him. He tried keeping him busy. He tried praising him. He tried everything. But the little boy just stayed in trouble, it seemed. And so he took him out one day to a post that was on the farm, not far from the house. That son from now on every time you get into trouble We're going to come out here and put a nail on this old post To show you how much trouble you've been getting into And for every good thing that you do Every time that you're helpful without being asked Every time you do what you've been asked without complaining Every time you speak to your mom and dad with respect Every time that you treat your brother or sister with some act of kindness We're going to remove one of those nails, All right? Well by the end of the first day it was looking like dad needed to get another post He was starting to think that maybe this wasn't such a good idea afterward. But after supper, Dad looked out the window and he could see his son at a distance staring at that post and all the nails that were driven into it. And Dad thought, maybe. And the next day, Mom and Dad had never seen such a good little boy. And there were more nails that were added, but twice as many were taken away. And by the week's end, just before lunch, the very last nail was removed and the post was completely empty. And Dad looked at his son, and he was expecting to see a smile, but instead he saw this huge frown. And when asked why the long-faced little boy said, Because the post is so ugly, Dad. Can't you make those holes go away? And the father said, I guess I could, but I'm not. Because that's a problem with sin, my son. That's a problem with disobedience, my son. Remember when you broke your mom's plate because you were playing... With the ball in the house. We're told not to do that, right? She can't replace that plate. That was her great grandmother's plate. They don't make those anymore. Remember throwing rocks at the cat? You just want to see if you could hit her? Well, you hit her. And you didn't mean any harm, but it happened. And now she's only going to be able to see out of one eye the rest of her life. You didn't mean that. But there's a hole there. When we make bad choices, we be forgiven of them, Dad said. But... Being forgiven doesn't remove the damage Your bad choices trigger Wow What a powerful parable Jesus May have forgiven this woman But he doesn't intervene in the fallout Her sin causes I don't know whether Who she was about to sleep with Was her lover And she was married Or he was married But but the sin is defined as adultery Man, I've never known adultery not to to just ripple with huge, huge destruction. Jesus doesn't stop that. doesn't stop attached to her name. We don't even know her real name. The woman caught in adultery doesn't stop that from being tattooed to her life story. Maybe you've experienced the same thing. God can take away the shame from check fraud, but he doesn't take away the jail sentence. You serve the time. He may give you back your driver's license. The DUI has been served, the time's over, but you may not get back your liver like like you once had it years ago. He may restore your place in your family, but he cannot restore the trust of your family. You may not ever get that back. They've forgiven you, yes, but trust you? Mm mm. Sin's that ugly, my friend. And that's why the price that was paid for you was so high. Which leads us to the second truth from this loser this morning. Though sin is excusable, it is absolutely forgivable. (laughs) Because of another post. It had some nails driven in it. And on that place, the Son of God Himself said, Give me your sin. I'll take it and I'll trade you my righteousness for your sin. And He did that there. And we don't ever want to forget it, so we share in the meal that our boys led us through a few moments ago and did a great job doing that. But they led us through that to remind us our sin caused that. It was inexcusable, but it was absolutely forgivable. And that righteousness that He extends to us is absolute. Completely covers us reestablish the relationship that we have with our father enabled us now to be filled with the other part of the Godhead His Holy Spirit and to live out the dreams that he wants us to live That's why they call it good news. Amen But it's an ugly post And it still has got some holes in it And we need to be reminded of it But I'm still thrilled that Jesus was willing Here's what he says in Romans chapter 5 about that event. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still, here's a key word, powerless, Christ died for the ungodly on that old post. Very rarely will anybody die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But our God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Nutshell version of that. (laughs) Didn't deserve it. Didn't even have the capability of reaching to Him for it. But by His grace, He gave it. His love when I was powerless, when I was worthless. And if he will do that when I'm his enemy, how much more now that I'm his son? How much more now will he empower and enable me to do everything that he's always asked of me to do in those Ten Commandments and more? Again, that's why they call it good news. Now, that type of thinking is foreign. It just is in our world. We don't extend grace very often unless we anticipate maybe a little grace coming back for ourselves. Am I right? That's our nature. That's that's what's natural to us. But (laughs) Chris did a good job of this last week. Our abnormal dad. Luke 15 just shouts of how just abnormal he is. Takes the prodigal back. Puts a ring on his finger and... a and a coat on his back, and, and kills the fatted calf. He's nuts with love for this kid. Eh, he's a little bit touched, actually, because listen to one of the scriptures that come out of that text. He's a dad who rejoices moreover, the one sinner who repents than over the 99 kids, the 99 righteous folks, who don't need anything to repent over. That's crazy. That's touched. Nobody does that here. Yeah, he does. My father does that here. My father does that here. And he is so abnormal. Get used to it. And let's start looking like that, all right, church? That's what he's calling us to. Which brings us to the third implication. God doesn't accept penance. But he does expect repentance. With this new lease on life that he's thrilled to give you, that he delights, the scripture says, to give you, that he, he's throwing a party to give you a second chance at. Three times he does that in Luke 15. Party for the lost corn. Party for the, the, the lost sheep. Party for the lost boy. Our God loves to party when someone says, "Woo, messed up, big time, sorry. Can we have a do-over? Yes. Yes. But I expect better. Not penance. But he does expect repentance. You say, well, what's the difference? (laughs) I told this story a few weeks back about my dad catching us in the flower bed using my mom's spoons from the house. Remember that? How I got the spanking for it? Not because I used mom's spoons, but because I lied about who got those spoons. Well, invariably, when I tell a story, someone has a better story in this church for some reason. And he met me out in the uh, four-year out there, and Ronnie said... Ronnie knew, by the way. Your story reminded me of when my four-year-old, my oldest boy, was caught digging in his mom's flower bed. Came home one day, and there he was, digging away, huge hole. And he had laid all of his mom's freshly planted flowers to the side in a heap. Ronnie said, I walked up and said, what are you doing? And he said, building a swimming pool. Ronnie said your mama's gonna tan your hide if you don't put those flowers back and get that hole filled in and he said yes, daddy And he did Ronnie thought that was the end of that but he came home the next day and there was a son in the flower bed again Digging another pool again and Ronnie walked to him and he said this time not in my church voice What are you doing? I'm digging a swimming pool Why are you digging another swimming pool? Did I not tell you not to do that? To remind myself that I should never do it again. (laughs) He's digging another pool to remind himself to never do that again. Now that's cute from a four-year-old, not from a 40-year-old. It's not. And that's penance. Did you notice Jesus does not ask this woman to walk back to her home on her knees? That she has to give up half her wardrobe for this? That she cannot have her hair done for an entire year? Or worse, that she's going to have to go watch NASCAR with her husband every Saturday for a year? That's penance. Jesus doesn't ask for penance. But he does ask for repentance, for a change. We're doing something different here. Hear me clearly. The Holy Spirit only inspired one of those. Man came up with penance. Prayers to pray. Good deeds to do. Money to give. To get God to to like them. To get God to forgive them. You don't have to do that. that. That price was paid one place back at that post. Remember? One place back at that post. But he does expect you to live differently now because you have been graced. As a matter of fact, God's going to say in Romans 2 and verse 4 that his grace is the only thing that leads to lasting repentance, to lasting change. The other, strangely enough, can bring about some repentance pretty quick. But it doesn't seem to last very long. For a study in biblical repentance, I want to point you back to Luke chapter 3. Remember John the Baptist? People are coming to him to be baptized. And he says, wait a minute. (laughs) Don't just think you can walk in here and do a little religious ritual and you and God are tight. I want you to go home and bear some fruits of repentance. what's that look like? Well, to those who had a lot, he said, listen, I'm not asking you to give it back. What I am asking you to do is this. Share. Don't take it back to the store. But if you've got two coats, then you give to someone who doesn't have one. Well, what about us? They were tax collectors working for the government. Uh, you know what he's going to say here. You need to give back that money that you extorted from those people. He doesn't say that. So from now on, don't you take any more than what's your legal amount to take. Soldiers, what, what, what are you supposed to do? Well, I'll tell you what you're supposed to do is quit, quit using your power To leverage it against other people's things, their time, their their money, their possessions. Now you be content with your own wages from here on out, all right? Do you notice something about all those statements in Luke calling them to repentance? It's it's forward looking through the windshield, not rear view looking in the past. So God's saying, Come on. Let's let go of this sinful stuff, all right? Let's move on. Practically for us, when Jesus says to each of us, go and sin no more. Some of you dads who made some commitments on the retreat this weekend, he's not saying, listen, go home and I want you to clean gutters and I want you to scrape that driveway with just a toothbrush and, and I want you to and start filling in all these things you're supposed to go do because you just haven't been the husband you needed to be or the, or the dad you wanted to be. That's penance. But he's not against you picking up a mop and helping to clean something that needs to be cleaned anyway. Because that's that's what a good husband would do. He's not against you going to throw a lure with your son instead of watching some pro do it on television for the ninetieth time. Teenager, the same goes for you. You may have blown it and been disrespectful to your parents again, broken their hearts again. You've been more of a burden than a blessing again. God's not asking you to get the toothbrush out and to mop the kitchen with that. But you could offer to help mom with the mopping. I don't know why I'm talking about mopping so much. It's really not even in my notes. Some woman saying, the Spirit's nudging you, son. The Spirit's nudging you. But you could do what you could do in that house to let your parents know, I'm grateful I have a house. We don't do penance at the Kerrville Church of Christ. You bring your jealousy, you bring your gossip, you bring the lust, you bring your selfishness, you bring your pride. You bring that to this place here. You're not going to have to leave with a work assignment to work that off. That's penance. We're going to invite you to bring it to a cross, back to that post, all right? And Jesus says, thank you very much, I'll take that. And I'll give you in exchange for that, my righteousness. Now, get out of here and go do better, all right? Is that not just fair? Is that not just good? I mean, as a dad, I expect my kids to do better. But I don't withhold my love because they haven't performed well. And some of you walked in here today, and you've not just performed well. You have blown it big time. And if we put it up on the screen, you would just melt. Good. I'm glad you brought it here today. Now. Now. Will you leave it? We're going to have some guys standing here in a few moments. And I'm going to invite, if you don't mind, our, our prayer partners to please take their positions in just a few moments, right along with our elders. Because if there's something you walked in here with today, or there's somebody in your family right now that is struggling with this shame thing, please, can we pray for that to be broken? It's It's brutal. It's brutal. And the only thing that can change shame into something you can live with is grace. That's all. And so we're going to pray powerfully for your own life or somebody else's life in your family. It's in desperate need of it. Please, could we do that? But God's going to ask us to leave, leave out of here better people for his sake, for his glory. And here's one way you can do that. You can share this good news with somebody else. <laughs> you can. You really can do that. Instead of the next time you hear something that, man, you, you dipped into, did a little bit of, tried on for size, and it brought some major pain in your life, it comes to it with an earshot. And instead of, instead of just going right on by that, you pull that car over right next to their car and you say, can I tell you my story and how Jesus led me through that. And I don't ever want to go back there again, but I want to, I want to sh- if you don't know, where you can have that forgiven and where you can have that changed and redeemed. Can I, can I haul you to a place? See, if there's one thing the Pharisees did right that day, it was to haul this lady to Jesus. <laughs> they didn't do it with, with good intentions in their heart. But could we at least learn from those losers something today? That one of the best things you can do when you find somebody who's been shamed is, church, will you haul them to Jesus? Please, please. Please haul them to Jesus. Quit driving by them as if nothing's happened and, and there's nothing in your life you can connect with them to share that incredible story with their story. Now we can walk out of here a church that's looking for that to happen this week, or we can just go back to pretending that none of that kind of stuff ever happened to us. We've never made those kind of mistakes. Experienced that kind of pain. Nah, you wouldn't do that Because if you did that If you pretended like you were You were good and right all the time That'd make God throw up And you wouldn't do that You don't want to do that Because the end of this book says That if God throws up It's not just embarrassing It's ugly It's ugly What do you say, church, we haul people to Jesus instead of making God hurl? What do you say? Father in heaven, we come to you this morning confessing we've given you reason to hurl. We've given you reason to throw up. Because, Father, we have walked around pretending as if we don't have this kind of shame. We haven't experienced this kind of brokenness in our lives. We've had people come right up next to our lives. You let them there, and we let them go by. And we're asking you, please forgive us. Help us repent of that. Thank you that we don't have to do penance for it, but we come today saying we want to do better. We want to take some lessons away from this text today. Please help us to take this one. One of the best places to do, to take someone who's experienced some shame, is to haul them to you. We ask your help, Spirit. Please. Help us do that better. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a song that I hope that you'll, you'll mean as you sing it to God. That you'll humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He's promised he'll lift you up. And I'm going to ask the prayer partners, would you go out, guys go ahead and start making your way to where you, where you were a while ago? And, and the elders, will you just kind of fill in around them? And I'm going to say this again so that we're clear about this. Because some of you, I'm not going to get up and go pray. Some people think I've got some shame in my life. Yes. I know you've got some family that has some. Please don't leave here without asking God's grace and mercy to be poured out on some of that shame in your family, for yourself, because that's what we're here for. We are family. We're a family of losers. Amen? Amen. Who are connected to the greatest winner of all time, but who was first the greatest loser of all time. And we've been celebrating for five weeks, and now we want to leave here committed to this. We will lose. So that other people will gain. Because he lost. So that we could gain. If you believe that, let's stand and let's sing.